Well, we are continuing in the book of Ephesians. If you would open to Ephesians, please, in chapter 2. As we have mentioned before, we're titled this, The Free Gift That Works. The Free Gift That Works. This is emphasizing the doctrine of salvation as we will be walking through this context in Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read verses 8, 9, and 10 just to put those in our mind before we then uh, introduce this message. The Word of God through the Apostle Paul says in verse 8 of Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Since Genesis 3 and the fall of man, when sin entered God's pristine creation, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and became sinners, spiritually separated from their loving Creator, immediately under the judgment and wrath of God as a result of the fall, since that time, every human ever conceived and born is born, enters this life with a sin nature. Our natural disposition is hostility towards God. We are enemies of His by nature. We naturally love darkness and not the light, which is Christ. We are born slaves of sin, slaves of the devil. Hopeless and helpless, to change our dilemma, we have as much hope to change our nature as a leopard does his spots. The greatest need of mankind then is revealed in the Philippian jailer's question to the Apostle Paul in Acts 16. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? There are a great many people throughout history who have ventured to answer that question wrongly. Many different religions, philosophies, and ideologies exist to answer that question, what must I do to be saved? The question could be asked in a different way to mean the same thing. How do I get right with God? How can I get to heaven? How can I be saved? Yesterday, Max and I met a, an Islam, a Muslim, and in our conversation... Max asked him if uh, he thought he was a good person, if he would be going to heaven. And his basic response to it was, I, I hope so. Right? I hope so. Um, I hope my good outweighs my bad. And that's what he was hoping on, that Allah, who doesn't exist anyway, is merciful. How does he get to heaven? Right? There's only one correct answer to the question, of course. There's only one correct religion. All others are false. There's only one true religion. So important is that question. So important is the, the doctrine of salvation. So important it is for us to keep it true, to keep it pure, is that, like the Apostle Paul, his harshest rebukes were reserved for those who were tainting the free grace of God. The book of Galatians, he asked them, why are you, I'm, he says, I'm so amazed, my paraphrase, that you are, have been tempted to follow another gospel when there really is no other gospel. 
There's only one gospel that saves. He said he calls them foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? His harshest treatment, his harshest rebukes were against the Galatians when I would have thought it would have been against the Corinthians and all their licentiousness and their pride. But he doesn't rebuke them in the way he does the Galatians because apparently the Corinthians didn't taint the free grace of the gospel. The Judaizers and Galatians did. They were, they were messing with the question and the answer, what must I do to be saved? For example, just around us, Mormonism. Now we know that that is cultic. We know that it's error. But did you know what they believe about salvation? Simply this, Mormonism believes, this is a quote from their website, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. Well, so far, kind of good. We're okay. By obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Of course, that's their version of the gospel. But you notice there that it's by obedience to their laws and regulations. Islam, as we had just mentioned, they're saved by the will of Allah through obedience to His law. Your good deeds should outweigh your bad. I looked up and found on the, the web, or whatever you call the computer thing, um, from the Quran, right, this phrase, those whose balances shall be heavy shall be blessed, but those whose balances are, shall be light, they shall lose their soul and abide in hell. So they're basically saying, if their good outweighs their bad, you're okay, right? Um, Catholicism which I know there's some here who are raised in that system. It's uh, 69 million Catholics in America, maybe a billion around the world. I think, it's the, I think it's still the largest religion in the world. Islam's close. Um, they're a little tricky because they use language that you and I are familiar with, but that means something very different to their system. They say, quote, by faith plus the sacraments. Baptism in particular. You cannot be saved unless you are baptized. Okay? Um, the seven sacraments, which I don't know them. Some here probably remember them. I don't remember them because I never learned them. The seven sacraments are necessary. They're, they're means through which God's grace is imparted to you to make you right before God. Okay? So in other words, you must do the sacraments, in order to be right before God. Okay? In case your bad outweighs your good, the Catholics came up with a better system than Islam, and they came up with purgatory, right? so they can burn it off to guarantee you're going to make it to glory. So don't worry about it. Right? Don't worry about it. The question's irrelevant. What must I do to be saved? Don't worry about it. There's purgatory. Um, you know, we, I laugh at that. We laugh at that, but that's a sad... There's 69 million people in America under that dome. There's how many hundreds of thousands, millions Mormons, Islam. They're all under the false pretense that you earn your way to heaven. You earn your way to be right with God. They would answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Do good things. Obey the rules of whatever system you're a part of. All three of those are basically the same. A works System, You are saved by your own efforts. You earn your place with God. Judaism in the first century was very similar. If you remember in Acts 15, 1, 
there's uh, the Jerusalem Council came out of this. In Acts 15.1, you had Jewish people who claimed to be believers in Christ going to Gentile churches and telling them that they did not know enough and they weren't doing enough to be saved. And they said in Acts 15.1, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the... Um, According to the uh, what is it? custom of Moses, sorry, um, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In verse five of Acts fifteen, they were directing them to observe the law of Moses. They're talking to Christians, telling them that you must add to your faith what you say you believe. You must add to that the works of the law of Moses, or you can't be saved. Okay. That's what Paul was addressing in Galatians so strongly, so, so harshly in his rebuke to the Galatians is that they were bringing works into faith, into grace, and saying you can't be saved unless you do these things. It's not enough, they would say, all those systems we've mentioned so far. It's not enough to believe. You must add to that. So then... Faith plus works to them is how you are saved. Basically, Christ has started the ball rolling and you must now keep it going by your good works. But how do you know that you're doing enough? How do you know if your good outweighs your bad? Are your calculations even right? Do you see yourself without bias? I doubt it. <laughs> for, for the genuine inquirer, do you have an answer? Do you have the correct answer? The Philippian jailer, as the Holy Spirit convicted his sinful heart, asks of Paul, what must I do to be saved? There's no more important question than that, and there's no more important answer than we can give. This is why we are here. This is why we believe God is planting a church in Folsom to answer that very question. What must I do to be saved? The correct answer is found in many places in the New Testament. You could just follow the next verse of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, and Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He got it right. <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But our text today in Ephesians 2 is one of the most clear, concise, thorough treatments of salvation that we can look at. And in our text, Paul answers the question, What I must do to be saved? by telling us, how we are saved. And then in verse 10, he's going to tell us why we are saved. So how we are saved and why we are saved. As you find your way, if you have are not there yet, find your way to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'll remind you where we have been in this text because the flow of thought here is what we want to get behind as we look at our text. The Apostle Paul has been teaching the Ephesians since chapter 1. In verse 3, how he revealed to them what are the spiritual blessings that belong to each and every true believer in the church. All the spiritual gems in chapter 1, verse 3 through 14 are equally ours in Christ forever. Those amazing truths in verses 3 through 14, he followed with his prayer for the saints in verses 15 to 23. And in his prayer, we saw that he was concerned about three essential truths, three essential realities that we need to grasp and get hold of if we're going to live in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. 
And the three truths were found in chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. I just remind you in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will first know what is the hope of His calling, futuristic, Okay, what is what's a, what awaits us in glory? Second, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, how he looks about us, how he sees us. We are his treasure by his doing. And third, in verse 19 in his prayer, he wanted us to understand what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. In that power, he then showed the, the greatest illustration in the following verses, 21, 22, and 23 of Ephesians 1. The resurrection of Christ and his ascension and his glorification is, is the power of God that's available to us. Okay, That's what's available to us. Now, when you come then to chapter 2, he reminds them of their experience of this power. In verses 1 through 7, here is the regenerating power of grace, as we saw. And it's important to note, as you come into chapter 2, all of chapter 1, and thus far into chapter 2, 1 through 7, and we'll see it again in 8, 9, and 10, that this is a shared experience of every saint in Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 2, notice what he says there. He says, We too all formally. You see in verse 4 that he loved us in verse 5 when we were dead verse 5 made us alive verse 6 raised us with him and seated us and you get the point when you get down into cha- uh, chapter 2 verse 8 9 and 10 you see the same idea of the shared experience where he says in verse 10 for we are his workmanship okay so this is this thread continues through chapter 1 into chapter 2 now This is all based on our union with Christ Jesus, together with Christ, raised with Christ. And the purpose of grace, as we see here, is in verse 7, where he says that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Notice that us are going to be in the the ages to come. That's eternal security. Okay, The assurance of your salvation. Right. I have a I have a question. Does anybody have a pocket knife? This thing is driving me crazy right there. <laughs> you have a pocket knife, Tino? Yeah. Can we take a break and put some time? <laughs> so you can push stop on that clock, okay? I still have time. All right. <laughs> this thing just was driving me crazy. Thank you. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I'll tell you we can push go. I'll get my thoughts back here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in chapter 2, verse 7, yes, right? We're still reminding ourselves where we have been. The Apostle Paul is talking about the, the purpose of grace in verse 7. And it is that God would glorify Himself by showing grace to us in the ages to come. And notice the us is a carry-on from those who were once dead. Right? So historically, the us in verse 7 are the us's of verse 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. Okay? On into chapter 1. So us here, we are, the, we are included in verse 7. So how secure are you? Very secure. Very secure. Because he says, the surpassing riches of grace and kindness towards us. 
What if you're not there? That's not a true statement then. You're going to be there. Don't worry about it if you're in Christ. Okay. So the purpose of grace is that he would receive glory there. Okay. Now that brings us to our text in chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Okay. Now here Paul reminds them of how they were saved. In verses 8 and 9, he reminds them how they were saved. And why they were saved is verse 10. In reminding them of these truths in verses 8, 9, and 10, he keeps them from straying off into pride and self-reliance and error, the Galatian error. You could start well, but not finish well. You could start under the umbrella of grace and be polluted by false teaching and end up in a work system. Okay, Galatians, Peter... Barnabas even fell prey to the hypocrisy. Okay, amazing. So then, as you come to verse 8, he continues the thread of grace here, and he finishes in verse 10 with good works. In verse 8, he's talking about salvation. In verse 10, I I would say just because preachers like S's to stay S's, he's talking about sanctification. Okay? So verse 8 and 9 is salvation. Verse 10 is sanctification. In verse 8, he's talking about the free gift of God. In verse 10, he's talking about the work of God. Therefore, the title of our sermon, right? The free gift that works. So then look at verses 8, 9, and 10. And let's remind ourselves how we were saved so that we can tell others how they can be saved and stay pure to the gospel. Verse 8, notice what he says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Notice how it starts here. It starts with four. Okay? He then is explaining why, verse 7. In other words, the eternal praise of God's grace is because of the grace that saved us. In other words, the extraordinary grace that God will demonstrate in the future, verse 7, is then the verse, in verse 8, the very grace that saved us. Okay? So the grace he's talking about in verse 7 is why we should praise, why God's grace is being demonstrated in verse 7 is because verse 8, it's by grace you have been saved. Okay? The very grace that's being exalted in verse 7 is the same grace, the particular grace that has saved us in verse 8. Okay? There's a definite article before the word grace in, in, in the Greek text that's not shown in the English. And, and you've got to be careful of this sometimes, but I just want you to, to know exactly what's here. Okay? The emphasis of Paul is the grace What's the grace speaks of a particular grace as, a, as opposed to just grace in general. The grace, the very, that takes you back to verse 7. The very grace, the surpassing greatness of grace that's being exalted in verse 7, that's the same grace, the grace that has saved you. Okay, all right. So there's the continuity there. And he says, if you look at verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. I want to, though it's not emphasized here, I want to make a point to put it for us. It's by grace alone. It's by grace alone that you have been saved. Okay? And so then, and remember that grace is an aspect of love. Last time we were together, we said love is like a diamond and it has facets on it, which would include, include like kindness and grace and mercy. Okay? So then, 
Grace is interchangeable with mercy for the most part and interchangeable with love. But there are particulars to the word, like grace we know is unmerited favor. We know it's undeserved kindness. It is true, think of this, grace then is the true and living God in all His infinite attributes, His omnipotence, His omniscience, His omnipresence, His righteousness, everything that's true of God, think of this, is directed towards you favorably. That's grace. All of God is directed towards you in a favorable fashion. How favorable? For your salvation and not your judgment. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's what verse 8 says. For by grace you have been saved. Okay? The good that God desires and purposes for you that's caught up in grace is salvation. And again, it's grace alone. And that's one of our emphasis of Folsom Bible Church. Isn't this one of the things we stand on? That, that salvation is by grace alone, the five solas. Right? By grace alone. Grace solo. It is the grace of God alone that you have been saved. In verse 8, notice again, by grace you have been saved. Notice the tense of the verb, you have been saved. And just, just in your English, what, is, what, is, what comes to the surface in your thinking? Past tense. It's at least past, right? The Greek text is perfect passive, okay? You, grammar's life. Grammar's life. We're grown up here. We need to learn grammar. Greek grammar's life. God communicated through the written word, so grammar matters, okay? We're not postmodern. Perfect is a past act that was completely done, finished, tied up, and the bow's on it. And the result of that past act is ongoing results. So that you are in a state of being saved. Passive means you had no part in it. Passive means the subject received the action. It's not active, it's passive. Okay? By grace alone, you have been acted upon by God, and that is you were saved by God. You just received it. You were acted upon. Grammar matters. Right? The cults do not teach that. Mormonism, Islam, Catholicism, Judaism does not teach what we just said. But New Testament does. Right? I'm going to go with the New Testament. Um, look at the word again in verse 8. You have been saved. Oh, I just love picking up words and looking at them. So if you can get in your mental, you know, your, your sanctified imagination and, and pluck that word out of its setting, pluck it up and you look at it. Saved. The Greek term is sozo. So what? Well, it, it doesn't just mean saved. And I'm saying this because sometimes we're so Christianized, we've lost track of what salvation means. To be saved. The Greek word can mean rescued. Or delivered. Rescued or delivered. Okay? In fact, it's used in Matthew 8.25. Just listen to this and you can turn later. But Matthew 8.25, you remember the Lord's asleep in the boat with His disciples. And the waves are coming in and filling the boat. And they start getting afraid. Think of, think of what it takes to scare a fisherman. 
More, a lot more than it would take me. <laughs> Cowboy on the water, right? So you got a fisherman who's afraid that they're going to die. That's how radical the storm was. And Jesus is asleep in the bow of the boat. Oh, and they say, they, and it says in the text that they woke him up and said, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. That word saved is the same word used in Ephesians 2 8. The word perishing is used in Luke 19.10. Zacchaeus, right? Listen to, listen to Luke 19.10 where it says that, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the same word that is used in Matthew when they said we are perishing. Okay, So it's used in a physical sense to literally be rescued out and put on safe ground. And it's used in a spiritual sense of being rescued out and put on safe ground. Yeah? So we have been already fixed in a condition of rescued, of deliverance. And it was done to you. Right? It was done to you. This is why it's grace. And then we have to ask the question then, what is the spiritual danger that we were rescued from? Well, if you were to back up and look at the first three verses like we did last week, we would say this, my summarization of verses 1 through 3, we have been delivered or rescued from the power of sin, we've been rescued from this power of the world, the fallen world, and we've been rescued from the power of, this, of the devil. Okay? We've been rescued from the power of flesh, our flesh, our sinful flesh. We've been more than all of that. More importantly, we have been rescued from the wrath of God. From the wrath of God. He removes us out from His anger into a place of favor and safety in Christ Jesus. And the perfect tense means it's permanent. It's fixed and settled. So why do we fret? Don't worry about your eternal future if you are in Christ Jesus. Okay? Alright. Now, we then are in a state of rescue and safety. Can I have you hold your finger here? Go to uh, Romans 5, please. The same ideas here. And I'm okay reminding you of this. I know you know this, but remember who Paul's writing to. Christians. <laughs> so I'm going to preach to Christians, and I hope you don't mind me telling you a story you already know. All right. um, look at, where am I going? Romans 5, verse 9. Verse 9, look at this. Much more then, having now been justified, notice the tense, been passed, justified by His blood, that is His death, we shall be what? Saved from the wrath of God through Him. Okay? So, we have been justified, which means declared righteous, which is an aspect of salvation, rescued, Okay? We shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him, through Christ. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved in this life by His life. Okay. We have been rescued by God's grace from the wrath of God. The offended party is the one who did the act. The offended party came and rescued the enemies. That's amazing. What you and I could not do, 
the offended God came and did. That's grace. That is grace. All right? Please go back to Ephesians. As you're going there, let me remind you of Romans 8.1. You can keep going to Ephesians 2, but let me remind you of Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? It's fixed, settled. Being saved is being removed from out of the condemnation of righteous God. Romans 5.1 says that we have peace with God, having been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a state of shalom, right? A state of peace with God because of what He did through Christ. Okay? All right. This is all of God's grace alone. And since it is by God's grace alone, while we were yet in unfavorable condition of sinful, sinner, rebel enemies... Now that He's made you right with Himself by rescuing you and reconciling you to Himself, are you now unsafe? Are you now on shaky ground? Now one false thought, one sinful move, and now you're no longer right before God? You're no longer saved? No. Do you see what He's saying? While you were yet in the worst condition, God sent His Son to die for you. Are you saying then now that you have been rescued... That there's no hope for you when you sin. No. We are in a state, perfect tense, of salvation. We are in a perfect tense of being rescued. So that I am in a condition of being delivered. So when you look at me, you should say, wow, there goes a delivered one. (laughs) In fact, I think we should write t-shirts. I see see City Bible there. We're going to have a different one, man. We're going to have Folsom Bible, the delivered ones. (laughs) I like that. Where's Rebecca? Get on that, Rebecca. Um, Look at this. Now, I lost track of where I was. Um, Go back to Ephesians. Sorry. So what I'm saying, what Paul's saying, what I'm trying to emphasize in verse 8, that this grace that is going to be just demonstrated in the, in the future ages is the grace that has saved us. God's unmerited favor has rescued us so that we are in a state of being delivered. But notice he then moves in verse 8 to our part. Grace is all of God. But what is our part? You see, through faith. Through faith. To believe. Amen. Now, listen, this is so crucial, so important. Not only salvation by grace alone, it's by faith alone. Okay? By faith alone. Grace has done the the act required for the rescue in the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. It becomes mine, it becomes yours. When you believe, okay? Not before. Yes, we're chosen beforehand, but you know what? You're not saved until you believe. Though Paul doesn't state it here, the scripture is very clear that our faith is in Jesus Christ, okay? Now, I say that because faith is thrown out there and it's just faith to have faith. Just believe. You just got to believe. What does that mean? I mean, football players say that. You just got to believe in yourself. That sounds horrible, right? (laughs) 
that's shaky ground, right? That's a millstone around your neck. You're trying to swim across the ocean, right? (laughs) Scripture always puts as an object of our faith, Jesus Christ. Our faith is in Him, okay? Though He doesn't put it here, it is from all Scriptures we know that grace has saved us, have been saved through faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in in the substitutionary atoning death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ. Okay, Everything about Him and everything He's done, you believe as you learn, but you, you, you're, the object of your faith is Christ Jesus. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever works really hard... No. No, what's it say? Whoever believes in Him, not just believes, believes in Him, okay, shall not perish. There's our word for um, death. There's our word for save us, Lord, we're perishing. We shall, the one who believes in Christ shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll let me, you know how we are, we've got to pick up a word. So I'm going to pick up the word faith, and I'm going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to make sure we get this in our brain. Pick it up and look at it, faith, okay? And go to Hebrews 11, because we've been here before, and I just want to touch it and then move on. But it's worth noting, because if this is so important for salvation, I need to know what faith is. I need to know what it believes, what it means to believe in Christ, okay? What must I do to be saved? Absolutely nothing. You just believe, (laughs) Look at what it says in 11.1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, now look at that just real quick. Faith is the assurance, the, the, it, the assurance of things hoped for. Hope for is something future. It has no substance to it because it hasn't yet arrived. Do you know what I'm saying? I've made you a promise of what I'm going to do tomorrow, but there's no substance to it because it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't shown up yet. Faith in what God has promised is to act as though it has come. It has, it has already taken manifestation. It has already, it has already, your faith is taking God's future promise as though it's already happened. That's how sure it is, you see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So when John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, faith would be take the promise that God has in John 3.16 as though it's already happened. You're so certain that you have placed your trust, your faith into Jesus Christ. And you're not working for your salvation, you're believing Him. You're convinced, so convinced you're just resting in Him, in His finished work. Go from there to Romans 4, please. Romans 4, this is my favorite definition of faith to me. And Abraham is the one who is the subject of this passage. And he's talking about how he showed faith, especially when it was promised to him that he was going to have an heir, even though he was 100 years old and his wife was 90. Talk about faith. (laughs) Um, Look at what it says in verse 21, for the sake of time here. 421. And being fully assured... 
fully convinced, is the word, okay, that, notice, what God had promised, that's future, that's hope, He was able also to perform. Okay? That's a great definition of faith. And that's what we exercise, is it not? Every time we read a promise of God and act upon it. Especially, and this is about salvation, because look at the next verse, in verse 22. Therefore it was accredited to him as righteousness. He's talking about Abraham, he's talking about Genesis 15. When Abraham looked up at the stars and believed God. He believed what God had promised, he was able to perform. Isn't that what we believe? I'm going to be raised from the dead to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. How, how can you be so sure? Because God said it. And I believe it. Faith is taking him at his word. Okay. Now go back to Ephesians, please. By grace you have been saved through faith. Okay. It's, it's convinced of what God has promised. He will do. It's taking God at His word. A better word, I think, for faith would be our English word, trust. Okay? So then, to trust what God says and respond accordingly. Faith is to receive. Okay? Think about it. Faith is to receive. Faith is not a work, by the way, because verse 9 tells us that. Faith is is receiving. This is faith. This is here's the posture of faith. Okay, Lord, I'm ready to receive what you've promised. Amen. Right? Faith faith to be saved is to receive what God has promised. Is that true? Well, I'm, I hope go to John 3. Go to John 3. This is glorious. This is glorious. Can't wait to get there. John 3. <laughs> He's referencing Numbers 25, I think it is. Or 22. 22. Numbers 22, I do believe. In John uh, 3, verse 14. Do you remember? Here's the background real quick. What's being, what's being referenced in John 3.14 is Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. That's Numbers 21. When, when they were grumbling, complaining against God, God in temporal judgment sent fiery serpents and bit a lot of the Israelites and thousands of them died. And they came to Moses and said, Help us. We're dying from snake bites. Moses went to God and said, What do I do? And God said to Moses, I want you to take bronze, metal, not living, and make a snake. I don't know how artistic Moses was, but it probably didn't look much like, I'm just guessing, not much like a snake, but it was supposed to resemble a snake. And he put it on a pole and said, Put it up in the air. Right? And what, do you remember the stipulation? Who was going to be saved from the snake bite? All those who looked. What's it take to look? Faith. Because God said, how foolish is it to look at a bronze snake and that's going to save you from literal poison in your veins. It's insanity. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Except God said it. And He did it. Look at what it says, 3, 14, 15. This is glorious. As Moses, as, so in the same way Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Dude! So that whoever believes 
in Him, notice in Him, we'll have what? Eternal life. That is the greatest to me two verses on faith that I ever seen. To just look. There's no effort in that. There's no you don't add to what Christ has done. You don't you don't polish up the bronze snake. <laughs> you just looked, you know, you just look. Right? Because God said look. So you got that figured out? And then verse 16 says what? For God so loved the world. Do you see where he's going? In the same way that God lovingly provided the bronze serpent to save those foolish Israelites if they just would look, Jesus Christ is the provision of God's love to be also lifted up to save those who will look. By grace you have been saved, rescued, and delivered through faith, through trust. You just look to Christ. Just look to Christ. Go to Galatians 2, please. Galatians 2. Paul's going to emphasize this. I'm going to show you what you already know. I know you know this so well, so we're going to go through it fast. 2.16 of Galatians 2. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith, notice the object, in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Do you think he's having trouble communicating what his point is in verse 16? Look at verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. That's how important it is to defend faith. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. And faith is just to look. Just look. Just look. Oh, I don't think it's that easy. You're, you're, you're preaching licentiousness and cheap grace, preacher. Really? Ask the thief on the cross how he was saved. He couldn't even break his arms loose to do something, man. He was stuck. <laughs> was he saved? Well, according to Jesus, he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's where I want to be. <laughs> That's where I'm expecting to go. Right? And remember the thief on the cross looked over the guy who's also nailed and said, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. Just think about what he's saying, meaning by what he's saying. I know you're being crucified here, but I believe you're coming back again because of what you told me. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the Savior of the world, and you are coming back. Remember me when you come. Amen? Amen? That's faith. That's faith. Salvation is always by faith. Uh, go to Romans 3, please. Romans 3. One verse, look at 28. It's going to say the same thing, but I want you to see this. For we maintain, verse 28, that a man is not justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. May it never be. Faith is the means by which to receive salvation, that which Christ has accomplished. Go to Philippians 3 real quick. Please, Philippians 3. Just to show this is obviously everywhere, and I'm just highlighting some of my favorites here. 
In Philippians 3, look at verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes there from his same prison cell that he's writing Ephesians from, and he says, May, verse 9, I may, and I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, that's works, but that which is through, notice, faith in object Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. It's over and over and over. It is the gospel. It is worth dying for. It is worth defending. It is something you're going to work hard to defend. Believe it, that Christ came and died, was buried and resurrected, and you look to Him. And you receive the blessings and the benefits of what He has accomplished. You don't add to it. You receive it. That's glorious. Absolutely glorious. Now, if you go back to Ephesians 2... He continues to emphasize grace by these words in verse 8. You notice that it says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And then he adds this at the second half of verse 8. And that of not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Amen. There's debate on whether this he's talking about faith is the gift of God or salvation is the gift of God. I think... It doesn't really matter when you get to the end because if it's faith, if he's talking about the gift is faith, well, you have to have faith in order to be saved. If he's talking about salvation, it's the whole enchilada is gifted to you. Either one, right? I think it makes more sense to me and even grammatically that he's talking about salvation because salvation is the subject here. We have been saved. That is the gift of God. And I think that is because verse 9 says not of the result of works. What's not the result of works? Salvation. You see? So the gift that he's talking about in verse 8, I believe, is salvation. Okay? Notice then what he says. Salvation is grace through faith and it didn't come from you. It didn't start with you. It's not of yourself. It it, it didn't originate with you. It's a gift. A gift. Think of this. A gift from God. A gift like any other gift. You just receive it. Your birthday was the other day. Praise the Lord. And I'm sure Vitalik had a gift for you. Even if it wasn't packaged, it was something, right? And it was something for you. And you worked really hard to earn it. Oh, hold on, Vitalik. I won't open it until I shovel the backyard. <laughs> right? That's kind of offensive to the gift giver. Right? It's no longer a gift. Do you see? He uses language that we all understand. It's a gift. What do you do with a gift? You just receive it and you give thanks. Oh, thank you for the gift. Salvation did not come from man, did not come from us. It did start with us. In fact, remember, we're, we're, before we're saved, we're in verses 1, 2, and 3. Enslaved to sin and the devil and the world. There's nothing good comes from you in that condition. It can't. Not only are you powerless, you don't have the desire because you love darkness rather than light, you see. It's, but this is a gift, and salvation is given to you. This is fascinating. I love it. I love it. I love it. I said, yes, Lord, you can give me any gift you want. I receive your gift. <laughs> right? I received your gift. So then, look at here in verse 8. He says, through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation is given to you. 
Verse 9, he continues to emphasize grace, but comes at it from a negative side of things when he says it's not a result of works. Salvation is not a result of works. No human effort whatsoever. Your works, your deeds, when you were unconverted, are nothing but filthy rags before you're converted. Amen? Amen. Jeremiah says it very clearly. Isaiah says it very clearly that we can do no good, Romans 3 says. Right? There's none righteous, no, not one. So then, of course it's not the result of works, but isn't it fascinating? He has to tell these Christians. He has to tell us to protect us, to keep us on the straight and narrow path of grace through faith. It's not of works. Don't forget how you were saved, brother. It was nothing good in you and nothing you did. You see, it was given to you. You see, yes. Even faith's a gift. I mean, we're not denying that. Philippians 1.29 says it's a gift. Okay. All right. Now, your works, your deeds have absolutely no part in your salvation. You don't clean yourself up. You, you, don't, you don't start doing good things and, and expect God to then open the door to you to receive you in. You come as you are. As soon as you mix your works into salvation, it ceases to be of grace. They are mutually exclusive. Okay? It's either all of grace or it's none of grace. There is no blending of grace and works, faith and works. Grace is pure or it doesn't exist. Okay? Grace is pure or it doesn't exist. Um, for instance, and this is worth looking at. Look at Romans 11, please. Because Paul will lay this out in, in two verses here where he shows the exclusivity of grace and works. Okay? Look at what he says in 11.5 and 11.6. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at present time a remnant, he's talking about Jews presently, according to God's gracious choice, says the New American Standard. Okay? So notice grace is in there. It's a, it's a gracious choice of God that there's a remnant of Jews. Verse 6 but if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Okay? So it's mutually exclusive. You do not blend. In your heart and mind, are you saved entirely, solely by the grace of God through faith? Or do you live in, under this, back here in the darkness of your mind, that if I don't do this, wow, I won't be saved? That's how you test yourself. When you don't do something that you think you should do, are you on, are you on the precipice of losing salvation? You know what I'm saying? Salvation is purely free to us. <laughs> okay. Go to Romans 4, please. Grace and works do not blend, and neither does faith and works. In chapter 4, the whole chapter is about faith. But when you get over here to um, Abraham and you get into verse 16, look at what it says here. Ver I'm sorry, verse 4 and 5. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Look what it says. Now to him who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. That makes sense, right? You work for such and such Dollars an hour, you expect after so many hours to receive your wages. 
That's what verse 4 is saying. Verse 5 says, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay? So faith and works, mutually exclusive. Grace and works, mutually exclusive. They do not blend. It's not 90% grace and 10% works to be saved. It's pure grace. Or it's no grace at all. Therefore, if it's no grace at all, there's no salvation. Okay? It's all of grace. So then, back to Ephesians, please. Um, verse 9, not as a result of works. Why does he not want works involved? Because look at what we would do with that in verse 9, so that no one may boast. Yeah. Right? We can't wait to brag about ourselves. Just give me a chance, you know. <laughs> right? Because I love me more than anybody I've ever met. That's my problem. Right? And that's your problem too, if you're honest about it. Right? And I can't wait to tell you how great I am. Right? That's why it's not of works. If it was of works, truly, just back up. If it was of works, we could stand before the Almighty and say, You owe me. You owe me a place in your heaven because I did this, this, and this. We all said, whoa, it's like scratching the chalkboard. Huh? We all went, whoa, that's, re- nah, that's repulsive. Exactly. Exactly. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Right? Not in yourself. Grace keeps us from boasting. Do you see, part of what Paul's doing here is protecting the church from bragging wrongly. Boasting. Staying in a humble, submissive posture because we recognize and live under the grace of God. You see? Amen. Look at verse 10. This is amazing. So how we're saved is verse 8 and 9. Why we are saved is verse 10. Because Paul goes on. It's not, it's not enough to just be delivered and rescued. But he rescued you and I for a purpose. And look at what it says in verse 10. It starts with 4, so he's explaining something again. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is absolutely amazing. For, he's explaining, coming off of verse 9, why we shouldn't boast is because we are His workmanship. We're not our workmanship. We're His workmanship. So what are you bragging about? You had nothing to do with it. It's all of God, you see. So he says, we don't brag because verse 10 says we are His workmanship. Notice he includes himself and the Ephesians and all believers there. We are His workmanship for a fact. We are for a fact His workmanship. The emphasis in the text is His. We are His workmanship. Okay? And the word workmanship is, is maybe better translated handiwork. We are his handiwork. Okay? Um, it's like a sculpture. And you look at a sculpture and, and you, you know that's someone's handiwork, especially if they're really good. Yeah. Like, I like cowboy stuff. Charles Russell's the absolute best. Nobody here probably has ever heard of him, but he is the absolute best. And I can tell you if he did that or not. A sculpture. Right? You're, his, you're God's sculpture. You're His workmanship. Now, the word workmanship, this is so cool. We get our word poem from, the word workmanship. Our word poem comes from this. It's, if you look at a lexicon poem, I, it says that we are His work, His creation. And it's the word poem. 
Well, think about that. God is the poet, and you and I are the poem. That's how crafty he is. <laughs> in the, and he's like my wife. My wife is so good at crafts. And so I said, you're awful crafty, you know, in a positive sense. God is the ultimate craftsman. He's the ultimate, ultimate crafty one, right? And you are evidence of his craftsmanship. Man, those who were spiritually dead and rebels against God who did nothing but sin, even your good works were tainted and polluted with sin. He has taken you, rescued you through faith in Christ Jesus and He has recreated you. You are His poem. Dude, that's good stuff. Well, look at what it says there in verse 10 again, please. We are His workmanship. And then He gives the sphere of this workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The word created is the word that's used everywhere for creation. To be created, it speaks of a new beginning. When God spoke into existence everything, He created the heavens and the earth. That's a new beginning. This is what is being emphasized here. God in grace has a new beginning for you in that He has created you in Christ Jesus. Okay, He did not go to the junkyard and polish up an old, rusted-out 57 Chevy. No, he went there and rebuilt the whole thing on the assembly line in Detroit. (laughs) Right? He made you totally new. You are a new creation. This is emphasizing the new creation in Christ. The new nature. The renewed mind, you see, created in Christ. Just is, think of this, he's emphasizing, man, he's emphasizing the creatorship of God. By saying this, that we are His workmanship, created in Christ, our mind goes back, the one who spoke into existence everything, the one whom the Scripture says all of the heavens and the earth are the work of His fingers and the work of His hands. Psalm 139 says He knit us together in our mother's womb. We are originally in this creation the handiwork of God, but sin has tainted the original handiwork of God. In Christ Jesus, when He rescued us, He's restoring us into Christ's likeness. He's restoring us more into the image of God. He's recreating you. That, and the goal of that recreation, the goal of His work in your life as a believer, is verse 10 says, four good works. So he doesn't just save us and leave us alone. He saves us for a greater purpose. Now look at this and think with me here. Verse 10, he says, Created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. The word good. I don't want to make too much out of this, but follow my thinking, please. Good is defined by an act that's beneficial for another. Simply. An act that's beneficial for another. Okay? It blesses them. It makes them happy. Just put that umbrella, okay? Mm -hmm. Could I not place that definition under the umbrella of love? If you're doing good for someone, are you not also loving them? So like grace and like mercy, you have a part of love is good. Good works. Okay, now follow my thinking, right? God is recreating us in Christ. 
He's the sphere. He's the atmosphere of this recreation. He's the goal of this recreation. This new nature is being conformed daily into the image of Christ. What did Christ do? Every time he did something, was it not good? In fact, um, Acts, I think it's Acts 5. I'm sorry, my mind's on a tumbleweed over here. It, uh, it says that Jesus did around and did nothing but good. When he healed people, when he gave sight to the blind, was that not good? And was it not love? It sought the best for the object. Son of David, have mercy on us. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? We want you to give us our sight. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Good works. Okay, follow the thought. We have been recreated in Christ for good works, for loving deeds. The new nature, the new creation is Christ-like. Therefore, we do things like Christ. We will do that which Christ has done. 1 John 2 says to walk as He walked. It's His life in us and through us. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the one, however that goes, tell me. 1038 is where the did around did good. Listen to this. It's good. Listen to this. Thank you, brother. Acts 10.38. That's why you bring your concordance with you. Sometimes it's Max. Sometimes it's a book. <laughs> right. um, listen to 10.38 of Acts. And you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay? So my point is, when... Paul is saying that we have been recreated in verse 10 of Ephesians 2 for good works. He's telling us we've been recreated to do the things that Christ has done. We are to love. We are to love. Is that not the acid test of regeneration? 1 John 4, 7. God is love. Let us love one another for God is love. They will know you're my disciples. How? By how many books you carry around? <laughs> how will they know that you're a disciple of Christ, says Jesus? Do you remember? Yeah, by your love for one another. Paul says in Timothy that the goal of our instruction is love. Jesus says that the whole Testament boils down and hangs on two commandments. To love God and to love your neighbor. That's amazing. Right? And love isn't K-love sentimental stuff. K-love is Christ-like self-sacrificing. Lay down your life for the benefit of another person. That's why we've been saved. That's why He's recreating us. The new nature shows itself in new deeds, new actions. Remember, the background of this is verses 1, 2, and 3. Those who could do nothing but sin and were enslaved to the devil. Now he's recreated us. He's rescued us and recreated us to do Christ-like deeds. Wow. 1 John 3, listen real quick. 1 John 3, 16, I think it is. Talks about uh, 
Lord, show me here. First John 3 says it like this. We know love by this, 1 John three sixteen and 17, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So Christ is the pattern. And for us who want to super-spiritualize that, He goes to the next verse and says, Oh, by the way, this is what it can look like. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Do you see? It's that practical. It's that practical. I'm one of the most blessed guys I know because of Folsom Bible Church. I'm serious. I see this all every day. And I'm the object of this way too much. (laughs) Way too much. But this is what God has saved us for. And He's recreated us in the image of His Son so that we carry out what His Son began. We're just carrying on what He started. You see? And it's Christ in us and Christ through us. That's the new creation and the new image. God's image. Until we're fully conformed when we see Him face to face. Oh, it's glorious. Absolutely glorious. Couple of places before I quit on you. Would you go to Ephesians four? You have to see Ephesians four, and I just want to pick up say twenty two, twenty three, and twenty four. Okay, and the emphasis is twenty four, but I want you to see it in its context. This this new creature. This is something Paul's mentioned. And we'll mention, verse 22 says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, the old self, the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit, disposition, attitude of your mind. And then our next verse is 24. And put on the new self, new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You see, this is what he's talking about back in 2.10. This new nature created in Christ Jesus, God's workmanship, is for the purpose of doing deeds that Jesus Christ did when he walked the planet. It's to love. In Ephesians 5, look at, he continues. Look at 5, I'll just, 1 and 2. Look at 5, 1. This is a new creature, isn't it? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Chapter 2 says, I was children of of wrath, (laughs) and sons of disobedience, but now I'm a child of God. And he says, imitate God. Well, how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 2. And walk in love. Just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us and offering sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Christ is the pattern. Christ is the example. If if people aren't interested in doing deeds of love for people, then they need to check their pulse to see if they belong to God. How do you know a fish is a fish? It does the things that fishes do. (laughs) How do you know a... How do you know a chihuahua is a chihuahua? Because <laughs> they do what chihuahuas do and you can stuff them in a hole, right? How do you know? <laughs> I don't like chihuahuas. They bite me. Right? But my point is, how do you know what, how do you know what is what? It's their nature. 
God has changed us. He's recreated us. And how do you know He's recreated you? Because now you start doing the things the new nature does. And you know what's so amazing about that? Is there any guarantees that that will happen? Or is that just a nice sentimental idea? Well, that's good. Go to Ephesians 2 and we'll finish here. And if my chihuahua thing offended you, get, o- get over it. <laughs> Look at verse 10. It says, for, his, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then look at the next amazing, amazing rest of this verse. Which refers to the good works God prepared beforehand. That's amazing. Chasing that word around in the New Testament, prepared beforehand, the basic idea is something that has been done and is ready. It's used in Luke 14 just as an example of a wedding. Everything was prepared and done. The meal was fixed. The tables were set. Everything's ready. And now go invite people to come to the wedding. It's been prepared beforehand. Same language. This is amazing. This is saying that the good works you were recreated for have actually been already prepared by God beforehand. Before He even saved you. Before He even created you. He had things for you to do. And He's guaranteeing it because look at what He says at the rest of the verse 10. He says, so that we would walk in them. They're prepared. The hammer's cocked and ready, man. Boom, right? It's ready to be pulled. Maybe not the best illustration. (laughs) (laughs) But I am who I am. (laughs) Um... The good works are prepared already, right? <laughs> Amen. This guarantees them. This is why it's evidence of your regeneration. This is not a suggestion of God. God this is God's purpose in saving and recreating you, is that you would do these works that He's prepared beforehand to do, right? So that he gets all the glory, all the praise. He is the, the master creator. And he has recreated you in such a way that you're beginning to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And you show that resemblance of him by the good deeds you do. And God, those good deeds have already been prepared and ready for you to do by God. Now you just walk in them. And that's the body of Christ. The body of Christ is filled with these do-gooders. Praise God. I better stop there. <laughs> um, I say this. Please. If you're not in Christ, you're still enslaved to sin. You're still enslaved to the devil. You're still enslaved to the flesh. You're still enslaved to this world. And apart from Christ, there's no hope and there's no help. But while it's still today, the Savior of the world says, Come, look to me and be saved. Just come. Come as you are and I will receive you. Amen? Amen. And then he will change your life to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So that in the ages to come, he might sow the surpassing great riches of his grace. We better pray.
Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Please take my feeble attempt and fill in the gaps. Use this for your glory. Give us a greater understanding of how you saved us and why. So bless us, Lord. May we continue to grow in the likeness of your Son so that you would receive massive glory while we are here in this place. Add to our numbers those you are saving, Lord. Bring them to us that we might love on them and love them up and teach them your word and and watch them grow. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for you are worth it all. In Jesus' name, amen.